Let's doing episode 89. Ari talks with Nathan Whitmore of OpenStim about TDCS knocking out the prefrontal cortex and do-it-yourself brain hacking. Wow, it's one crazy mad scientist episode of uh, Let's Doing today, it sounds like. Yeah, this is cool stuff. And I, I, I'll, I'll be honest, this is not something I've tried yet. And I, every time I'm, I'm like ready to try it, I, I kind of like scare myself out of it for some reason, which is silly because it's really, it's very safe. Um, so TDCS is basically you're providing, you're, you're introducing a very small electrical current into your brain. <laughs> To either sounds very safe. Yes, right. Yeah. Well, well, mm. yeah. You're, you're gonna <laughs> the the uh, the funny thing about it is that you can basically you can make a TDCS device for about thirty bucks in parts with a car battery. Mm. Yeah, that might be a little much, but like a nine volt battery. Yeah, literally. Oh, okay. um, so it's a little crazy, but uh, the the science. Well, I can't really say the science is there either, but it's it's one of those things that it does make sense. Basically, you're either Overactivating a part of your brain, or you're underactivating a part of your brain, or mm. you know, deactivating a part of your brain. Um, and Stephen Kotler, who I've had on the podcast before, who talks about the flow state, and you know that that place you get into where your where time has no meaning, and you're just like you know working for hours, but it feels like minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they they can fake that by knocking out the prefrontal cortex, which is you know the front area that basically involves a lot of the higher uh, thought and. Um, willpower i guess so if you knock that out you sort of go into a flow state so that's one of the things you can do uh really? there is a really interesting there's some really interesting government research on this uh there was a reporter this was recently on radio lab where she went to this uh rifle training facility and she was not a good shooter at all and it was a it was a simulator so it was like very scary actually she said that there's snipers coming out of everywhere and like you have to kill like all these different people and she did terribly the first time and then they okay. applied the electric current no other instruction or anything and she did the same thing and was like 90% accurate wow. and um and she felt like the the 30 minute exercise took about 3 minutes so oh, really it's pretty interesting um you can use it for you know more creative thought uh reducing anxiety there's all sorts of interesting uses for it but it's the kind of thing you have to play around with it no two people's brains are the same, so you basically have to just do some trial and error. And uh, Nathan is—he's got a lot to say about it. It was really interesting. It's not quacky or weird at all. Like it just—it's—it—it it, it makes sense. It's just something that's not—it's not replicable enough. I feel like to to really to to make it too like too much of a hard science. So it's something that I think is worth playing around with, and something that I would like to to try. So. Wow. Does he explain how to do it in the podcast? Yeah, he I does. Mean, he, he does. He tells you where to start. And uh, there's a bunch of links in the show notes to OpenStim, which is his sort of open source uh, place for this. There's a really great subreddit on Reddit. There's a couple devices that are not specifically T, uh, TDCS devices, but you can use them as such. Okay. So, um, yeah. you know, if you want to get like a commercial version that's four or $500, that's a way to go. But if you want to go to Radio Shack and hack your brain, this is the way to do it. <laughs> So uh, there's a bunch of links I want to talk about this week. The first one, and I love this, was that every team should appoint a meta-knowledge champion. Okay, so this is a person who's aware of everyone else's area of expertise. Okay. I love this idea because uh, this goes to me so much towards like outsourcing and how you get different people to do different things. You know, part of the challenge in outsourcing is knowing what you can outsource and then knowing who to give it to. 
okay. know, because a lot of people, I, I'm just trying to think of a really good example. Like, uh, even transcriptionists, a lot of people don't realize that you can have people transcribe things for you. You know, um, mm-hmm. people might not realize that somebody who does creative writing can also write a blog post for you you know, or write an advertisement for you. Somebody, even you, you know, you're, you're a film composer. That doesn't mean that necessarily you could be the audio engineer for my podcast, right? But right, it right. is a skill set that you have. So a lot of people don't know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So if you have somebody on your team, and I, what I like about this too is that it's not about being the leader or anything. It's, you can use this for a flat team, but somebody who really knows what everyone else is capable of and how best to use that. So uh, it, this made me think of when we were in uh, the escape the room thing for my retreat. You know, everybody mm-hmm. had different strengths, and we're not a corporate team, but you know, we all got to know each other much better, and we knew who could do better on d- certain tasks. So I, I just love that idea, and going out of your way to say like, there is going to be a person here who needs to be aware of what other people can do and what they're capable of, and what their strengths and weaknesses are, and then that person can most effectively sort of allocate work. So mm. I really like that. Uh, there's an app called Figure One. And uh, a lot of people are not going to want to check this out, uh, but it's interesting. So uh, basically, Figure One is like Instagram for doctors. So the reason I'm saying a lot of people aren't going to want to check it out is there's some very, very graphic stuff. And not injuries, but like infections or rashes or uh, irritations. Uh, And essentially what it is, is it's a reference library for physicians. So you could take a picture of an unusual rash and put it up there. And you may get a lot of comments from other doctors using the app. And it has their credentials. It has what kind of doctor there are and what pictures they posted. But you may have a, you know, you may post a rash and a, a skin doctor in... I don't know, uh, South Africa may see it and be like, oh, we've seen that exact same thing. And then somebody else might chime in. And consequently, you can also search for (laughs) reference images. Yes, that's a lion bite. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You idiot. (laughs) How do you not recognize that? Uh, So I I just like, I think it's a really cool use of technology. I think it's a really interesting use of sort of social sharing but for a really good purpose. Yeah, that's a really clever idea. So, I mean, they even yeah. go so far as they have like brain scan images, MRIs, uh, x-rays, you know, so it's not just like, oh, I took a picture and here it is. There's some actual real hard right. stuff in there. It'd be good if they did this for like, for cars, you know, so you have like a problem <laughs> with your engine. <laughs> well, don't give away that idea. That's a good one. No, I think it's a great idea. Yeah. That is a good idea. At least you could like record sound, you know, at that problem. How many times have you had like a problem with the... You know, there's some rattle in the car and you don't know what it is. Yes. Well, that's that's like half of the calls to car time. You know, someone's like, yeah. it's, it sounds kind of exactly, like, oh, yeah, that. So I've talked before about Blue Apron and about Plated and stuff. And you guys even got to try out Blue Apron. And and Claire had some interesting feedback, I thought, on Blue Apron. So... I always have to take things further, right? Like eight minutes abs, then you have seven minutes abs. Like, so this is called gobble. And whereas with Blue Apron and Plated, you're supposed to be able to prepare the meal in 35 minutes or less. This mm-hmm. is 10 minutes or less. <laughs> uh, but this is what I don't get about this. And I don't mean this as like a critique because I think that there is a place for this. It's 11.95 per person for the meal. So, okay, that's one thing. But you can make it in 10 minutes or less with one pan. Uh, and essentially what they're doing is they're actually pre-preparing a lot more of the stuff than you would get with a, uh, a plated, for instance. So whereas with plated, you might have to marinate something for 10 minutes. Here you're going to get the meat already marinated in the package ready to go. So what the, the only marinated issue for me here, 
what? about three days. Well, the only yeah, issue for me with nice. this is that once you get to 10 minutes, what's the difference between that and just reheating something? You know, like, I mean, maybe and this one is... one way to find out. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. Yeah. But I mean, maybe this is fresher, but like, and I'm not saying like a pizza is a healthy thing, but you can, you know, you can make a frozen pizza in 12 minutes. Um, you can also get you know, like Pete's Paleo or a lot of these meal delivery services that are, that is fresh food, but it's prepackaged for you. It's, you can make those in five to six minutes or something. So once, once you go beyond that, shouldn't you like basically what's the difference between that and then going the full 30 minutes? So I I, I don't know. There's some interesting, the the other argument of course, is that they might be recipes that you wouldn't normally make. So it'd be a really good way to try them out. And then of course you have the recipe card. Yeah, I see. So uh, I just love this, like constantly trying to do things faster. (laughs) Well, I I think, I think the, the the problem we had with, with the blue apron is that they, it was just the wrong type of, I I like the concept a lot, but it was just the wrong type of, um, of meal really that's all it was yeah that makes i mean yeah. and, and claire like, was if, saying if how they could um if they could give us the kind of meal that we're that we're looking for and um that would be great you know but we're just not looking for um the kind of thing they were serving up yeah and, and claire was also saying it, it seemed like a lot of work for one meal you know whereas she could put in the same amount of time and well make, that's exactly it well yeah. she, and she could put in the same amount of time and make meals for you know several days so yeah quite. Uh, it's just it's interesting i'm curious you know see how that kind of how that goes for them mm. uh so there was a study called the effects of dawn stimulus dawn simulation on markers of sleep inertia and post waking performance in humans so i don't know have you seen any of these like clocks or actually we talked about the aura last week that uh will the withings yeah the withings right that'll put mm-hmm. uh, it'll it'll make a light like get brighter and brighter before you're supposed to wake up Mm-hmm. So th- this is basically a study showing that that actually does have a really significant effect on your, uh, basically your, like how joyfully you get out of bed and then how the rest of your day goes. Right. Oh, okay. So Wait, what, what, the, what, what notes are we looking at here? This is, uh, this is the dawn simulation one. Oh, okay. Okay. So cool. basically the perceived sleep quality was better, uh, perceived alertness or actual alertness was better reaction times were faster so this is people who were exposed to light uh, gradually increasing light as they were but 30 minutes before they were waking up so now are you doing are you doing any of this kind of thing at the moment because i remember you were getting up earlier with um with subu waking up earlier yeah so what i what's your current? no so right now I, like i try to wake up with uh my beddings be, i'm sorry my bed smart alarm and that's basing it on when i'm most in my like least sleep or my my most wakeful point in my sleep that's mm-hmm. when that'll wake me up this takes it a step further because even at your most wakeful point in your sleep you're still asleep Sorry, what, what's this? What takes you to Oh, the, the, the idea of dawn stimulation. Oh, okay. So, okay. It, like, Philips has, a, has a, a lamp that will start to turn on a half an hour before you want to wake up and get brighter and brighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the aura is one that'll, you know, start to get brighter and brighter and show that light. And basically, ob- obviously, it's simulating the sunrise, right? Mm-hmm. So, it makes sense why that would be helpful. And no, I haven't done dawn simulation. And a lot of that's also because, you know, Anna doesn't necessarily want to get up at the exact same time that I get up. And yeah. sometimes we have a kid in the bed. So it's not, it's not something that I've gotten to try extensively, but it makes sense. It really makes sense that it's like a gentler way to wake up. It's a more oh, natural yeah. way to wake up. <clears throat> mm. oh, I totally believe the whole, that whole thing. Yeah. So I'd like to, uh, I'd like to, I would like to try that out, actually, but I, I thought this was really interesting that they did a, a, a good, significant study on this. 
So uh, the next thing is about bone broth. So actually, I, I linked to an article on Mercola's site again about bone broth, but I, I actually wanted to talk about this a little bit. So bone broth is what it sounds like. It's like chicken stock, or actually, sorry, not stock. Stock is water that's flavored with the with chicken or beef or something. Stock, uh, chicken, I'm sorry, broth bone is broth. Where, bone yeah. broth is when you're actually taking like pounds and pounds of bones and boiling it down, and you're getting all of the collagen and all of that nutrient dense deliciousness, and you get a. a I mean, it's still a, a soup, but yeah. you're basically getting this like liquid. Uh, oh, you're saying it's more nutritious? Way more. I mean, it's 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 one of the most nutritious things that you can have. Honestly, I'll say oh, really? that. Yeah. So there's a great company called The Brothery, and they make this amazing chicken broth that they they boil down. Every pound, I'm sorry, every package has like a pound of boiled down bones, and then they put some spices and stuff in there oh, too. Really? But it's huh. just it's the kind of thing. Literally, they've used it to help people with cancer treatment. They you, as as an immune booster, as a really uh, something that can help Crohn's quite a bit to he, to help heal your gut. There's oh, all, really? very few things better than bone broth. And uh, this <clears throat> the company the Brothery, which again I actually have to add that to the show notes. The Brothery will free, they ship it to you frozen, ready to go, and you just thaw it, and it's it's you can just have it. On you know on its own like a soup and just drink it or you can add it to things but it's basically like like liquid penicillin. Oh really? Yeah, okay. really cool stuff. Wow. So I have a good article in the show notes about the benefits, mm-hmm. and then uh, we're also going to link to the brothery as well. So it's really good stuff. Wow. Uh, okay, so there was an article in the Telegraph. You ever, uh, were you ever a fan of the Telegraph? Kid? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd read the Telegraph every now and then. Okay, so yeah. this is about the PayPal Mafia. So mm-hmm. I, I thought you might find this interesting. Uh, the PayPal Mafia, they're, they're basically it was all the people who were involved in starting PayPal. Okay. And uh, Peter Thiel is one of them, you know, major VC in Silicon Valley. Elon Musk, you know, of... Uh, did you know that Elon Musk was really the founder of... Tech, basically the founder of the technology that would be PayPal? Um, I've never heard of this person. Oh, he's, a, he's, he's a Tesla. Oh really? The Tesla oh, car. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. Tesla car, SpaceX, and he originally had X.com, which was the the money transferring technology and software that would that would become PayPal. Oh really? Oh okay. But so I just I, I I thought this was interesting because you know it's like about being in the right place at the right time kind of thing, and of course there's there's talent that goes along with that. But so of the people that that were involved in starting PayPal, there are a couple billionaires and many, many millionaires. Uh, wow. So like uh, Jawed Kareem is worth $140 million and <clears throat> he worked for eBay after PayPal. Uh, Andrew McCormick, who uh, is, they said estimated worth is unknown, but um, he's working with Peter Thiel. And then of course you have Elon Musk who went on to do Tesla and SpaceX. And I mean, who knows what, is coming from him in the future. Peter Thiel, of course, is he's worth over $2 billion and he's one of the top VCs around. Uh, but there's literally, oh, Reed Hoffman, who started LinkedIn afterwards. I mean, it's like kind of amazing what came out of this group of people that started PayPal. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, yeah. So uh, it, it, it's, really, it's really cool. And Elon Musk is supposedly worth about $10 million at this point. Wow. Go PayPal. And by the way, I hate PayPal. 
I absolutely hate PayPal. <laughs> uh, I use it. I use it all the time. But yeah. I mean, anyone, everybody, everybody has had a bad PayPal experience because they're not really a bank, but they sort of operate like a bank and they can freeze accounts and they can pull money out of your, I mean, it's like, uh, okay. you, it, PayPal is definitely like a love-hate relationship for me. I see. Yeah. So, sorry, PayPal mafia. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. So, uh, two more things. There's an article uh, on Chris Kressler's blog, and I love Chris. Uh, he was on my uh, podcast before. Really, really great doctor. Really, really knowledgeable. But basically, uh, he's saying the article is called Are You Lower Carb Than You Think? So, I, I think this is kind of funny. And basically, you can. Uh, like uh, for instance people people have a i think a hard time estimating what the nutrients of certain foods are and what the calories are for instance so like a large sweet potato which is a real go-to source of carbs for people who are paleo or who who are low carb honestly is Mm -hmm. there's 37 grams of carbs in there yeah um a half a cup of blueberries contains 10 grams of carbs for instance okay so if you want to be on a extremely low carb, like a very, very low carb diet, like a real ketogenic diet, then you really need to be on like less than 25 grams of carbohydrate per week. So a week, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, per day, cheese yeah. per day. Right. So like just that sweet potato, you know, so that person would have to have like a half a sweet potato. That's like their, their, their splurge for the day. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, it, but the thing is also is you have to keep this in perspective. So someone like Ben Greenfield, who was full on ketogenic, so he's a ketogenic diet, for uh, when he was training for Ironman, he was still eating 200 grams of carbs a day because he was consuming a total of like 6,000 calories per day because of all the training. So that would technically not be a low-carb diet, but as a percentage of the diet that he was eating, he was getting very low-carb. So he was still uh, okay. able to maintain ketosis. Yeah, oh, that's so interesting. It, yeah. yeah, it is really interesting. So you really have to sort of weigh that in. Huh. You know, so... Uh, and the thing is, is somebody who is a, a active triathlete or an active, an, I'm sorry, a very active mm. athlete or pregnant or breastfeeding, for instance, or have a very fast metabolism, you really do need more carbs. Um, and carbs can really be up to like 30% of your diet and still be relatively low carb. So you really have to look at how your, your activity is going, is playing into this and what you're doing with yourself. And if you're trying to maintain ketogenic, uh, a ketogenic state, for a certain kind of illness. You know, for instance, mm-hmm. hypothyroidism is something where you'd want to have moderate carb intake, you know, mo- no more than 15 to 30%. And so that's like 100 grams to 200 grams a day for, for an adult male. Mm. Something to think about. Oh, wow. So I put that in the show notes. And it's worth looking at knowing what, what the carb amounts in the foods that you're eating are. So, you know, sweet potato, 37 grams, uh, something like uh, butternut squash has 22 grams. Something, right. you know, so you can look at that kind of thing. And because if you really want to be low carb, you kind of need to dial it in and know how many carbs you're taking in. Right, right. Uh, incidentally, tomatoes are very low carb. There's seven grams of carbs. Uh, broccoli is six <clears throat> grams of carbs. So, you know, you, with the vegetables, you're going to get a lot lower carbs, of course, non starchy vegetables. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, Claire did this for a, for a long time. Yeah, yeah. So. I know. Yeah. So the last thing is called Sesame Gift Sets. And it's a, I just like this because it's an app and they're curated gift boxes, basically. And they have a lot of selection. There's like 60 different things here. So like for the wine lover or for, the, or for a child or oh, for gaming. Yeah. yeah. Right. So what I like about this, first of all, is it's, you don't have to think about it. You can still 
be thoughtful and you know give a gift when you want it's from the it's an app if you you know you can do it from their their website but there's also an app so it's just pick the person okay. pick what you want them to get and then they get it and you know it 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 does these are they're really nice gift sets and I, I just like these kinds of things where you can show client appreciation you can send it to a family member you know somebody does something nice for you at a at an event you get their information you send it to them you don't have to think about it and you're done and uh, I've seen ones like this before but not with what I would consider really actually nice cool gifts this one they're really cool there's some things I've never seen before yeah they're beautiful yeah really nice sets they, really good yeah so that's uh, that's it for this week for me. Did you have anything for this episode? And they're, and they're, they're like selected by sort of experts, it seems. Yes, and right. So like the, the wine pairing is by Naked Wines, which I'm a member of. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Yeah. Na- if, by the way, if you don't know Naked Wines, people, you should and you like wine, you should check it out because you're basically angel investing in winemakers and you get some really, really great stuff. And uh, the pricing is really good, I think. Is angel investing, is that an official term, by the way? Yeah, yeah, angel, yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So angel investing is uh, is sort of like one step, uh, not below, but it's like a different, it's it's sort of a different path than venture capitalism. It's it's a little oh, okay. bit more where somebody's taking a little bit more of a leap of faith, I think. That's kind yeah. of one way to look at oh, it. Oh, I see. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, did you, did you have anything for this episode, Felix? Uh, not for this episode, I don't think. No. Okay. Well, yeah. everyone, thanks for listening in. Enjoy the interview with Nathan and uh, go uh, hack your brain. All right. Okay. (laughs) Now I'm speaking with Nathan Whitmore, who is the founder of OpenStim and a creator of transcranial direct current stimulation devices. So, Nathan, thank you so much for talking to me. Yeah, no problem. It's good to be here. So, first of all, let's, let's tell everybody what TDCS is. Okay, so TDCS um, is basically just a neuroscience research technique that involves putting um, very small amounts of electric current through the head. And what this does is that um, it can actually make certain regions of the brain more or less active. And this is really exciting because um, you think about the brain, the brain is made up of a whole bunch of regions that all interact with each other. And depending on kind of the balance of activity between regions, you can predispose people to different behaviors or improve certain cognitive abilities. So what TDCS allows you to do is alter how active a brain region is, and then in doing so, potentially improve some aspect of cognitive function. Okay, so now I I think that, at least when I've brought this up in conversation, the image that comes to a lot of people's heads is... um, like people with seizures getting, you know, reset and, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on, Oh, electroshock therapy. Sorry. Yeah, electro- so <laughs> obviously this is, this is a much lower, lower current. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. And the, that's, yeah, that's what people will ask me about too. And I explain this to them and actually it's a lower current and that's a big, big difference because what you're doing in electroshock therapy is you're actually trying to make all the neurons fire at once. And that's what's makes you have a seizure. A seizure is actually a whole bunch of your neurons firing at once. TDCS is too weak to actually make neurons fire, but it just makes them kind of slightly more likely to fire. And what that means is that you don't destroy the original function of that brain region when you're doing TDCS. It's still doing what it's supposed to do, but it's doing it slightly more or slightly less. Okay, so how do you know, and and, and, I mean, 
if you can just walk us through a little bit of like how this actually works, you know, like what a device looks like, what you're attaching to yourself, you know, how, how does it really work? Yeah. So, um, a, a TDCS device, um, most of the ones that you'll get right now, they'll look like, um, just kind of a box and it will have two wires coming out of it that go to sponges. Um, well, they're actually called sponge electrodes. They're, um, a thing where you'll soak in, you'll soak them in salt water and you'll place them at certain positions on your head. Um, and then the salt water acts as kind of an electrical bridge that helps the electricity get through your skin. Um, now, where you put them is actually determined by there's this system that neuroscientists use to say what where different brain regions are, and it's based by on measuring distances across the head. So it's called the 1020 system. So typically when you're doing a TDCS session, you would figure out exactly what kind of cognitive ability you were trying to enhance. You'd look at research that said where you had to place the electrodes to do that. You'd place the electrodes there, secure them with something. And then there you would usually just, for example, turn on dial on the box that would tell it to send a certain amount of current with a certain polarity for a certain amount of time through those electrodes. Okay. So that, I mean, that sounds like there's a lot of variables though, right? So in terms of, you know, what the settings and where you place them, like, is there, is there any way to, to, I mean, is there any system to it? Is there any system to like, like, well, I mean, I know you said that there's like there's research for things, but you know, you're saying you can adjust the current and the and and obviously you're going to adjust where you're placing them. So, how like how much does that vary from person to person? What they what kind of levels they need, where they go. Um, so that's actually a good question, and that's actually one of because one of the re- ways that TDCS is research is kind of lacking right now is we right now we understand kind of what settings are best for accomplishing a specific thing, but not really very well how that differs by person. So typically, if you're setting all those variables for a session, what I would do, what you would do would be you would look up, um, based on scientific research or people who have collected things, like the current level and the placement to achieve a specific thing. And it's not, you don't so much do like tweaking based on the person. Okay. Gotcha. Now, and like what kinds of, I mean, you know, I, I'm sure the obvious ones like memory and stuff, but what, what are come some of those specific things that people are going to want to be doing with TCDS, TDCS? Um, so yeah, I see a lot of people, um, a lot of people actually talk about, um, depression. Um, there's increasing and pretty good evidence that there's a specific part kind of TDCS where you're placing an electrode on the left prefrontal cortex or over the left prefrontal cortex that can remediate depression. There's a lot of people who are interested in that. Also, a lot of people who are interested in improving their ability to kind of pay attention to things for long periods of time and also um, improving their memory or um, making themselves learn faster. There's been a lot of interest in the DIY community about whether there are certain ways that you can use TDCS to speed up learning. And, and uh, just to go back to a logistical thing for a second, uh, this may seem like redundant, but uh, yeah. so if you're putting one sponge on the left prefrontal <coughs> cortex, uh, where does the other one go? Um, so typically when you're stimulating the um, prefrontal cortex, you'd put one 
that would be right over the prefrontal cortex, and the other one would go either above, like right above the eye, like where the eyebrow is on the other side, or on the arm or on the other side. Um, we used to think that putting it right above the eye was kind of a neutral spot. Um, it turned out that that wasn't the case, and actually that one that's placed above the eye might be stimulating that part of the brain too. So that's why some people like to put the other one somewhere that's not on the head, so that it doesn't have as you don't have to deal with two electrodes having potential effects on the brain. Okay, and that's what, so that's what I was curious about because I've heard about that how you you put the other one basically on the, on the arm. So, because what yeah. I was wondering was you're, you're not like directing the direction of the current specifically, right? So that doesn't necessarily have an effect on, on how it works. Um, probably not. Yeah. No, the current, okay. The current um, spreads out quite a bit. So it's not uh, like tight beam that's going straight from one electrode to the other. It's, it's actually quite diffuse. Um, I, I, my, I probably should have mentioned this before, but part of the problem is that when you set up this circuit, you have one electrode, which is where electricity is entering the brain, and brain tissue under that electrode becomes more active. But on your other electrode, um, the tissue under that area becomes less active. So you can use that to your advantage if you're trying to, for example, change the balance of activity between two parts of the brain. But in some cases, you don't necessarily want to do that, and that's when you'd put one electrode on the arm or somewhere else. Gotcha. And now you mentioned that you can also use the, you can use these devices to decrease activity in, in particular areas of the brain. So when would you want to do that? Well, so there was this really interesting um, study by um, a researcher named Alan Snyder. And what his research suggests is that there's an area kind of, of be, on the left side, kind of between the forehead and the ear. And if you turn that region off, if you suppress it, um, people show these abilities that are typically associated with autistic savants, like better um, visual drawing abilities or the ability to count enormous numbers of objects instantly. So we think that in some cases you can enhance a cognitive function by inhibiting another region whose job is to kind of put the brakes on that function. Um, another example is I actually had a, I actually had a um, accident where I had a stimulator set up incorrectly and I ended up kind of turning off a chunk of my prefrontal cortex. And the result of that was what you'd call actually a flow state where right. everything suddenly felt very automatic, very easy, very fulfilling. And I think there's something to that, that if you turn off this part of the brain that is doing kind of these supervisory things when you're doing something that doesn't really need them it may actually enhance performance when you're doing something that you already know how to do that's very interesting yeah i've, I've heard I've, I've spoken to stephen collar before and i've talked about possible ways of inducing flow state so that was that was one of them so when, you can't really buy these devices right most people just make them um, you can buy them, actually. Um, there's a few, there's a few um, companies now which are making them that sell them directly to um, consumers. Um, <coughs> but there's also uh, there's also a sizable group of people who make them. And I mean, they are. It's a fairly simple device, right? Yes, it can be. It can be very simple. 
Um, the complexity goes up depending on how much safety and reliability you want, though. So you wouldn't, can wouldn't, very- wouldn't you want a lot? <laughs> um, you would think. A lot of people who want them really cheaply, and that does create... Um, that does create some tension, especially when you have devices that are already assembled. Some of the very cheap, already assembled ones actually are a little bare bones in the safety department. Um, but generally, the most important thing is that it has something called current regulation, which means that it will always supply the same amount of current, regardless of how much resistance it is. And that's basically what keeps you for it from sending too much electricity through your brain. And hurting you or burning you or doing other bad things well could you give us one like a one or two examples of companies that make ones that you think are good um yeah so there's a there's a company called um transcranial technologies um they make a, a very good tdcs device um it's about $400, I think, the last time I checked, so it's a little bit expensive. Um, but the other, the other option is um, there are companies that make these things called iontophoresis devices, which are not actually for TDCS. They're actually designed to deliver little packets of medication through the skin. Um, but they also actually make very effective TDCS devices. So there's a thing called a Chattanooga iontophoresis device and a Duple iontophoresis device um, that also are very, very good kind of off-the-shelf TDCSs. Well, that's cool. Uh, okay. So, and then, but if you're going to build one yourself that's you know, relatively safe, what, how much money are people looking at to do that? Um. If you're, yeah, so if you're going to build a good one yourself that kind of has the minimum requirements for being safe, I'd say probably at a minimum you're looking at about $40. Um, Probably only maybe $10 of that is going to go into the actual electrical components. You can build the electric, like most of the components for very cheap, but the most expensive part if you're trying to build the components as cheaply as possible is going to be the electrodes. And having good quality electrodes is important because if your electrodes are bad, they can actually burn your skin. And the best kind of electrodes are called sponge electrodes, and those tend to run maybe like 20 to 30 to $40, depending on the kind you get. Um, if you want a fancier device, you're talking about to build yourself, which would be something like the open stim. You're talking about maybe $50 to build the device, but that has the advantage of not only is it pretty safe, but it can also do everything that one of these $1,000 commercial devices can do. So it's a good deal. Yeah, sounds like it. Um, and so you mentioned burning. Like, what are the, I mean, other than burning the skin, what are the real possible side effects or, or <coughs> downsides? Bless you. Yeah, so... The side effects are much less exciting than most people think they would be. Um, Some people who are using TDCS um, get headaches um, when they're using it. Um, A few people get fatigue or insomnia, although that's actually like we're getting into the just like a couple of percent of people category. Um, They're... Those are really the kind of effects that seem to be intrinsic to using a TDCS device. But 
The other thing to keep in mind is that because TDCS is altering your brain activity, you can alter your brain activity in a way that's bad using it. Um, so if you like, if you look on TDCS forums, you will see occasional reports of people doing something new, something that not many people have done before, and it ends up like making them really angry or making them depressed or. Like in one case, um, someone was actually using a poorly designed device and he lost consciousness with it. But the good thing about those reports is that pretty much every time you hear one of those, it's because there was something wrong with either the device or with how the person was using it. And if you the person is following kind of standard accepted guidelines for how to use TDCS safely, um, you're really only going to see these very mild transient effects like headaches. So uh, other than accidentally knocking out your PFC, have you ever had a, a, a bad experience with uh, TDCS? Um, I have not, actually. That was the closest that I came to a bad experience, and that was not really bad. Like I was actually working on a programming problem, and it helped me solve it. So I was, and it was, it wasn't until after the fact that I was like, wait, I had the polarity wrong here. So my experience with experience with TDCS has been all good. I also do tend to be one of the people who does some of the more experimental stuff, um, like off the beaten path a little bit in terms of where I put electrodes, and I haven't had any bad experiences. So I think that does speak to it being a pretty safe thing in general. Well, so what were some of those, you know, unusual uses or experimentations that you did and what, what was the result? Um, so one of so one of the things that I was interested in for a while was that um, I am I am actually pretty bad at math, which surprises people um, because I do neuroscience and computer science, but I am. And one of the first things that I was interested in looking at TDCS to do um, was improve math performance. And so the way I was looking at doing that was stimulating the right parietal cortex, which for various reasons, I suspected my right parietal cortex might be a little bit weak. So I, I started stimulating it and while doing kind of some basic math arithmetic tasks. And I actually found there's a significant improvement on those tasks and also in kind of mental Hello. Hello. Did you uh, did it? Uh, you cut out it uh, mental. Okay. Um, I was I was just gonna. Should I repeat that whole thing? Or? No, no, no. Go, it's it's fine. Okay. Just say for you know improving those yeah, tasks. I, like, um, I noticed that there was I saw significant improvements in my ability to do those kind of um, mental arithmetic tasks and also things involving kind of mental visual operations. So for instance, like recognizing differences between figures or doing mental rotations. Aha. Interesting. And, and what about, is there, uh, is there any way to use it for um, like physical improvement? I don't know, like reaction time. Well, that's not all physical, but like reaction time, for instance. Um, yes, it seems like it. Um, I'm, I'm not entirely clear on the studies on the studies specifically on reaction time, I don't know if that's something they've looked at, but um, one of the very earliest things that 
TDC, they looked at TDCS for was when people had to learn kind of new motor skills. They found that if you stimulated the motor cortex, it could speed up learning of kind of manual skills, like how to do a complex motor task. Um, more recently, they've actually found that TDCS can, in high-performance athletes, actually seems to be able to regulate kind of the systems that control fatigue and actually make people fatigue more slowly if you do it in a specific spot. Or there's even evidence now that it can influence appetite and it might be useful in helping people lose weight. So that is a huge part of it right now actually is using TDCS to kind of reprogram the brain to then program the body to do something else. And that is amazing. And so one of the things that I really focus on with my work and with people is, is, is stress reduction. So, I, I, I mean, I can only assume that there's probably some benefit from TZCS for stress uh, management and sort of nervous system response. But it, it, how, how long does the effect last when you use it? Um, so the effect, um, the effect lasts, most people will say... Um, on average, after you do a session of maybe like 10 to 20 minutes, the effect will last anywhere from maybe like 90 minutes to two and a half hours is the general range that you'll see. Um, that's consistent with where you do neuroimaging and you can actually track. You can see the differences in activity. Um, but on the other hand, for instance, when you're using this to treat depression, you can ha you have people going in for one treatment a day and they have changes they have improvements in their mood that occur over a long period of time. So it seems like the bulk of the effects occur kind of within two and a half hours, but there can also be some sort sort of subtle lingering effects. Okay, cool. Now, if somebody wants to try it out, you know, wh where what would be the best place to start, and and what I guess experiment would be the best thing to run on them where they could sort of see it and be like, wow, this is amazing. So they can see the effects, yeah. Um, so the first place to start, um, I think, would be there is a TDCS subreddit, which is kind of a discussion forum. It's at um, www.reddit.com slash r slash TDCS. Um, there's a lot of people who talk about TDCS on there, and we also have, like, a big list of frequently asked questions that um, – that goes over things that people commonly ask, like what kind of stimulator should I get? Um, I would, so I would advise looking at that. Um, if you are, if you are not familiar with um, electronics, I would advise looking at some very basic stuff about electronic circuits and Ohm's law. Um, talk to people on the forum if you're unsure about kind of the electronics or the neuroscience or if you've built the device right. Um, in terms of a first experiment I would do with it, um, I would say doing analog stimulation. So stimulating the left prefrontal cortex with the, um, the cathode, the electrode that inhibits the brain activity, either over the right eye or on the arm. And what you should look for, this, this is one of the placements that... Um, we has the best evidence for it. And what it seems to do is it seems to improve short-term memory. So you can do tests that, for instance, test how many 
numbers you can remember in a sequence. Do that before you do the TDCS and then afterwards and see if you see a difference. And you should. And it's really cool because you're like, I'm making myself smarter. That's that's awesome. I, I, anything like that where you, and, and where you can sort of see those immediate results, I think is cool. And that that's a yeah. really good one because I feel like memory is one of the things that's sort of like generally failing in society. So that's, yeah, exactly. That's, that's and, a fun one. Yeah, and that that placement is actually if we don't. So we don't really we don't really have a placement where we can like one placement where we can just say kind of unequivocally, this is the spot that makes you smarter. But that particular placement has gotten a lot of research and it seems to benefit a whole lot of cognitive functions. So if you do no other one, do that one. Great. So now where, uh, the the last question I always like to ask people uh, on the podcast is what are your top three personal recommendations for being more effective? And, and in my world, that really means getting more done, but you know, what you, you've, you're, you've created this project, you've experimented with these devices. Like what are your recommendations for being more effective from anything that you know? Um, in regards to TDCS or just... No, and no, anything. Anything that you think makes someone more effective. Okay. Um, let me think about this for just a second. Um, okay, so I would go with... Um, I, would go, I would go with, um, first of all... Um, diet, making sure that you like, at least for me, um, having proper nutrition, having especially kind of the right amount of blood sugar at all the time, all the time is extremely important for making me, um, effective, um, kind of limiting exogenous, um, input when you're trying to do something. So for instance, um, setting up email filters so that at any given time, you're only trying to deal with the emails that, um, are, really important and giving yourself like one part of the day that's the time where that you have to kind of worry about everything that you haven't dealt with so instead of having that constantly intruding you can say okay i'll put all these things off till this point then i'll deal with them was that three yeah it was three okay sorry nutrition filtering and setting aside time to deal with things. Gotcha. Those are great. Awesome. So thank you. So, so Nathan, I, I got, I'm going to have links to all the stuff that you talked about in the show notes, but what's the best place for people to find out more about you? Um, okay. So, um, the best way to, let's see the, probably the best way would actually be, um, my Reddit profile, which is www.reddit.com slash you slash snap. It's Nathan. It's all just kind of one word. Um, I also have a website that talks about, um, it has projects that I've worked on or I'm currently working on, and that's sites.google.com slash site slash Nathan WW. It's again, it's just one phrase. Great. Well, Nathan, thank you so much for your time. It's been really nice talking to you. And uh, I hope that uh, this inspires some people to start trying out TDCS. Yeah, me too. Safely. I hope it inspires them to do it safely. Safely. Absolutely. Thanks again. (laughs) Yeah, no problem. Thanks for taking the time to talk with me. Hey, everyone. It's Felix here. Thanks for taking the time to listen in. And we hope you're enjoying the podcast. We always like to hear your feedback. Please make sure to check out the blog at lessdoing.com where you can find out about Ari's elite group coaching mastermind group 
as well as the Less Doing University, which has over 100 hours of video content and a question and answer forum too. Also, if you love the show, please take a moment to leave us a positive review on iTunes. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.